0: This is The Bail List. I leaned right back or practically fell back to be able to uh, take the weight but within another you know, half a second of the cams popping out the whole magic block ended up dislodging from the wall.
1: The Bail List is brought to you by Wild Earth, purveyors of all the top quality gear you need to achieve the adventures of your dreams. This month, we also have an unreal giveaway thanks to the good folks at Awesome Woodies. If you've not heard of them before, make sure you go give them a follow at Awesome Woodies on Instagram. They handcraft timber training tools for climbers, and they've very generously offered to give away one of their cliffboard micros to a lucky bail list podcast listener. It's a tiny and super lightweight hangboard, perfect for warming up at the crag or training on the road. To win, all you need to do is spread the word about the bail list. Tag a mate who you think would be into the podcast on any of our social media posts on Instagram or Facebook at The Bail List. Good luck. This is The Bail List. Hey, I'm Nicole Bronx. I kind of agonized about how to introduce this episode because it's a story that's quite close to my heart. Fabio Valeri Formoso was one of my very first climbing friends. He taught me how to rock climb and we were and still are part of a tight-knit community on the Gold Coast on whom this incident had a huge impact. It impacted the wider climbing community as well. Many of you have heard of this story or parts of it. Fabs was at Frog Buttress in southeast Queensland in 2017 with his longtime climbing partner Graham Payne and another friend Doug. Graham was on lead when he took a big whipper, pulling a notorious big piece of rock called the Magic Block out of the wall. Fabs thought it was over. Still, to this day, he's shocked they all lived. To be honest, so am I.
0: My name's Fabio. I've been climbing for about nine years now, um, off and on. Um, there's been times in my life where I've been completely enthralled in climbing and put everything into it. it as my first thought in the morning, last thought at night. Um, and there's times where I haven't climbed for months. Um, I am a climbing coach, so I coach kids' classes and adult climbing fitness classes and I've also done quite a few courses now over the years in vertical rescue and uh, outdoor lead, climbing, guiding. And, um, yeah, so I've been guiding and coaching for a while now and I thoroughly enjoy getting people into the outdoors and, I guess, welcoming them to the world of climbing. I most enjoy multi-pitch sport, but then again, like my best climbing trip would be a trad trip to a that's my ideal of the perfect climbing trip so yeah i don't know i like uh enjoyable climbs (laughs) really
1: you're you're an adventurer (laughs)
0: yeah i like definitely like the adventure style of climbing and any outdoor activity i guess that's why um climbing has woven its way in and out of my life over the years because um Climbing is not my only thing that I like doing in the outdoors I like so many different activities in the outdoors and I'm the classic jack of all trades and master of none. And I've just accepted that I'll never be the best climber because I choose to do other things as well. If I can be moderately good and enjoy lots of different climbs then I'm happy as long as I get to do all my other hobbies as well.
1: Hey Fabs. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Very
0: good. Very good
1: first thing I want to say is this is kind of really special doing this episode because it is
0: pretty awesome I'm pretty stoked
1: you are one of the two people who taught me how to rock climb
0: yeah well I guess the basics and then you've taken everything from there really (laughs) maybe the basics for the first year and then you just took climbing on like a proper climbing addict I only got to witness a few of those in my life where people they come indoors of the climbing gym and they experience climbing and they get into it for a little while. And they're passionate about it and they love it. They might have a few outdoor experiences and everything, but generally drift away from it. And then there's a handful of people, and you see it in the eyes from day one where it's just on. And there's, they've got that proper, this is for life type bug. And as a lot of the viewers or the people listening will know, once the bug's like really in, climbing's this thing that it might like weave its way in and out of your life as your lifestyle changes or other hobbies get in or work or family or whatever but true climbers it's just always in their blood like there's times where they're sitting there thinking about it or no matter how distant they get from it there's always time where they're going to get back to it but you just went all out in the last four years has been insane
1: yeah who would have thought four years ago that we would be sitting here doing this podcast episode. It's
0: crazy, like I was saying earlier about that first time you came in, hanging up on the wall.
1: I never <laughs> yeah, thought... for a news story, yeah. as, a, as a journalist that didn't know anything, talking With about the climbing climb. like I thought I knew stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this is climbing, guys.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was so dumb. I cringe when I watch that. But,
0: um, yeah, but everyone's first experience
1: yeah. climbing. and. You know, one of the things that's really kind of special about doing Mm. this episode is that this was, this incident we're talking about today Mm. was kind of the first, for me, the first time someone I knew who I Mm. was really close with, or people that I knew who I was really close with, um, had. An experience that was yeah. pretty serious, and it made me think about climbing in a whole different light. Yeah,
0: for me as well. Actually, I had before that I had I'd heard of stories and things like that. I may have heard of a couple distant stories from people that I had met through the climbing world and and industry, but never been a part of or been you know close to people that have had a serious incident in climbing so yeah and I think it I guess for the whole crew that that crew of people that you know we were all climbing with and hanging with each other and um I feel like in a way that got a little tighter too mm. like it brought everyone together a lot after that accident yeah. it's interesting to see how it worked and I guess it gives everybody a different like all the ones that are close to you around you I think it gives them all a bit of a different outlook on climbing Mm.
1: and one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast was sort of to you know maybe make people who are pretty new to climbing aware of the stuff that can happen if you're not careful even if you are careful you know accidents can happen it's a
0: dangerous sport it's simple as that you can take a lot of you know you can do a lot of mitigation and that's what climbing safety is um, but in the end, anytime you're in nature, it's pretty unforgiving and things can happen, whether it's due to weather or weathering of rock or anything. Things can happen in the blink of an eye, you know, like loose rock or anything. Getting caught, even getting rained out of a crag can turn a day into a dangerous day. Like, mm. there's a lot of things that happen and I think a lot of climbers, I think most climbers kind of do go through the stage. It's almost like a part of your climbing journey is you go through that stage and when you start getting good you definitely do get an ego I've witnessed it through a lot of climbers and I think I went through that stage especially when I was a teenager and you get to that stage where you're used to taking whippers and you think you trust every bit of gear and you just think that you're slightly you know you think you're kind of invincible like ah, oh, it won't happen to me I'm safe. I, you know it won't happen to me I've taken heaps of whips I'm fine I all it won't happen to me but um I think if you talk to any climbers that have been climbing, you know, 20, 30 years, the old school climbers, they've all had some type of wake-up call or lost a friend or had a friend that's had a really serious incident. And I think climbing's kind of built up with it. If you climb for a long time, your climbing career is built up with little wake-up calls as you go. And you're dumb not to listen to them. That's the biggest thing. It's like every climber, like accidents happen but if you don't learn from accidents and try and think about it and think okay was there something i could have done Mm. and then mitigate that in the future then even something as simple as wearing a helmet from now on
1: Mm. yeah and that accident that you and graham had yeah was the first wake-up call in my climbing career for sure and it has definitely paved the way for all of the safety choices yeah. that I've made yeah, from here on definitely out. Definitely for me now. And I'm too. sure, yeah, tenfold yeah. for you because yeah. you were there. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the day. Uh, if I remember correctly, it, that was Graham's birthday, wasn't it? Yeah, it was
0: his birthday. It was the 23rd birthday. Yeah. Yeah, 23rd birthday. So Graham had a. Uh, we went out to Frog Buttress because Graham had a. Um, a grade 23 climb that he wanted to tick on his 23rd birthday and um, he was climbing very strong I, I was his main climbing buddy at the time and we'd been doing a lot of stuff at Frog, I wasn't climbing anywhere near as, as hard I was just you know around the 16 17 grades on trad and, and he was pushing grades very quickly very quickly um, climbing strong, feeling confident and doing well being successful at climbing Mm-hmm. Um, and that day there was three of us, me, Graham, and Doug, and we were having a pretty awesome day. We headed out together. We all worked together. We climbed together, and yeah, we were pumped to go to Frog. It was a beautiful day. So
1: you, you all worked in the climbing gym. Together. Yes,
0: in the climbing gym together. Yeah. And I guess you know that's how I met you, Nicole, and I guess a whole bunch of crew that we've been mm. all quite, well all pretty tight these days, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah and we day started off epic we went and did um, Satan's Smokestack and I led that for Amazing. the first time and I absolutely loved it, I remember being on an absolute high at the top of that climb because I'd led it and it's a real adventure climb, cool you know like, you, you got off with, you got you know, chimney climbing in a four sided chimney, you know, with little gaps where you can see out and then there's a f- bit of face climbing and just very interesting long climb mm. and you feel like you're up there forever and you top out and it's you feel like, like a boss yeah because yeah. it pushes you it's a good climb really good track climb mm-hmm. so i was buzzing from that and i um top laid the boys up and we all were at the top i'm pretty sure we even took like an insta story and everything of us three at the top of that crag. and uh graham had a 23 in mind all day that he'd been wanting to do his 23rd, but um, yeah, so after that climb, we went back down and we walked around the corner at Frog to find the climb that Graham wanted to do.
1: Can I just stop you there yeah. and get you to talk about a little bit more about who was in the party? So that it was party yeah. three, you, Graham, and Doug. Yeah, just run me through everybody's kind of experience levels. Yeah,
0: so Doug, um, pretty inexperienced, he'd only started in the climbing gym. Uh, probably a, not even a year prior, probably six months prior. Um, been through all the vertical rescue course and things like that that we kind of had to do in a climbing gym because we also guided outdoor stuff. And then, but, uh, you know, fresh to the, to the sport and starting working in that gym was his introduction to climbing. Um, and he'd been out with us climbing a couple of times. Um, I believe probably it was his first time to frog and I'd say maybe the last time. <laughs> what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> um, Graham, is, I've been working with for a while, probably had been climbing for about two and a half years, um, and really one of those people that was uh, took to climbing, very, you know, you witness a lot of people, especially when you work in a climbing gym for so long, you witness people. Nobody starts off in climbing at the same level some people start really far back and they're gonna take a lot of work to get up to a certain level that
1: was me yeah
0: (laughs) i was waiting for that yeah and then um some people just come to it and they take to it like a duck to water really they just they already got this natural strength and maybe awareness of their body and the way to move it and um Graham was naturally quite a good climber, but he also was obsessive.
1: He trained really Um, hard. Yeah,
0: Graham's, like, a really strong-minded dude that um, anything he took on, there's no halfway of doing it. It's all out, and um, I don't think he wasted any time in training and getting to a really high level. Uh, Before that, I'd already belayed him up uh, 21s and 22s on trad, um, and he crushed... um, and spore climbing he was climbing pretty strong like really strong 26s pretty regularly like and just climbing a lot training a lot um and very strong minded This very strong willed so um and I was quite confident in, in his ability um I had been climbing uh at the time probably six or seven years um off and on um and, yeah, I guess I was quite experienced in a few different fields of climbing, like bouldering and, and sport and trad, but um, still I'd never really pushed past grade 17 on trad. I, on trad, I liked to take it real slow, you know, because obviously we've got to remember that trad is a lot more high risk than sport climbing. It's just, there's no doubt about it. It's so much more high risk, there's, uh, way more variables in the person, in um, judgment, in the rock itself. There's a lot more involved, and yeah. So um, yeah, I was still climbing sixteens and seventeens on trad and enjoying every moment of it. I Don't get me that. wrong, you know, <laughs> like I love it. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, we were feeling pretty good. We were on a real high bit of camaraderie and all pretty stoked that we all just topped out on a really fun climb and yeah we were feeling good day at frog there wasn't many people out mm-hmm. it was a weekday yeah weekday. so there's only one other party there
1: But it it was kind of bad juju though, wasn't it? Because wasn't that other party on the climb that you were meant to do?
0: Exactly right. So this other party, I think of three climbers, really lovely crew and ended up helping us out a lot, which was amazing. Um, They were actually climbing the climb that uh, Graham wanted to climb, the 23 that he wanted to get on. Um, I guess when I say that, it really makes you think like, wow, what are the chances of that happening? Um, so, Graham pretty much um, just had a look at the guidebook and had a look at what's the closest 23 from that one. And um, we ended up finding uh, Guns of Navaroon, which was hectic-looking climb. It was pretty epic, big open book feature with a probably a finger-sized split crack running straight through the middle, um, which widened and thinned as it went. Um, but not all of it was... You know not all of it you were able to put gear into actually it looked like it had a lot of gear but it really didn't have too much um but i'm sure there's a few people out there that have climbed it um it looked way too hectic for my liking so like i i would still to this day probably not climb a climb that looked that insane it's got this slight little rooflet through the crux um but still nevertheless a spectacular looking climb it stands tall it's an open book and it's orange rock it looks like rocks it looks like relatively new rock if you know what i mean you know when it gets that real orangey color like recently you know even in the last 50 to 100 years that rocks come off away from it and it looks quite raw um and then obviously it's got the magic block in it which was uh, before we'd done this uh, i had no idea how you know, it's a pretty big deal. This magic block. It's a huge block up there that um, kind of looks like it's suspended in midair. Kind of. Like, yeah, it looked like part of the wall to me. But it, it yeah, that's why they call it the magic block. Um, yeah, and but to be honest, I was pretty confident in Graham's. Like, I've caught him on pretty decent falls on trad before, um, and I was, you know, quite confident in Graham's ability and he was climbing strong that day as well good mindset, everything um, so yeah, we tied in and got ready to go but um, kind of the setup of where it's an awkward belay from Guns of Navaroon because beneath so you've got a ledge uh, that might be about a metre and a half high um, right in the corner of that open book that you, the climber will stand up on to start the climb um, so the belayer sits a fair way down from that ledge, um, to get a good view. And also the way that the land slopes is quite steep. It's really, it's quite a, uh, scramble just to get to the start. Um, have you seen it before? Yeah. You've uh-huh. been there? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? That ledge there, um, and then it's quite steep terrain to get up to it. So it was pretty awkward belay. Um, And yeah, so I was belaying from down a bit further from that ledge where the climber starts.
1: And did he put a piece in like on his way up to that the top of that ledge?
0: Yeah, I I believe he put a little uh, a piece in um, as high as he could reach from that ledge just as a little bit of safety as well. Um, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, just want to, I always like to do that as well. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Just want to feel a bit better. (laughs) (laughs) makes you feel a bit better. But, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, tied in, and Graham got climbing, Um, just pretty much. It was pretty spectacular. I've got a couple photos of him climbing that climb, Um, and it was... I was on a high watching him do it. It was pretty spectacular, actually, and he was very brave and bold. Like, there's definitely positions in that climb that I would not like to be in, and and, um, just big wide open leg stance like across Mm. this massive open book feature with your feet just pasted on the wall like really really minimal feet and minimal crack and not that much gear really to Mm. put in uh but he was looking strong he was climbing real strong talking feeling confident looking confident Mm. um so i while he was on that go i was encouraging him to keep going you know like you're doing well, continue on. You don't always climb this well, so you may as well make the most yeah. of it. Um,
1: so you were on play, Yes, So Doug I was, was on watching. play.
0: And Doug was watching from, the way I describe it, is Doug was sitting where you would want to sit if you knew this incident was going to occur. <laughs> yeah, like kind of tucked away in the side, what we thought was pretty sheltered, you know, away a fair bit, just laying down. I believe he was talking to his mum on the phone and um yeah Graham had got I'd say he was probably 20 metres up before we get into the crux into the rooflet and um look he was he was pretty run out and about to hit the crux um so I you know when I think about it I'm not sure I'm sure Graham's thought about this a lot um I don't know whether he would missed a few placements in that run out um Because, to me, there's no way you would have made or even attempted this crux in the rooflet without putting some extra gear in before attempting it because he was already probably, you know, three metres run out, I'd say. Um,
1: Can you explain the nature of... Like where he is on the climb and what the crux sort of entails. Yeah, so
0: the crux, if you imagine this, you're stemming across this big open book feature with the crack in the middle of it. And then as you get to the top of this feature, you've got a little rooflet that comes out. Um, And to the left of it is the uh, magic block and then this little rooflet. And you have to kind of come out, like traverse slightly right and come out over the rooflet. And then it slabs out a little bit more for the finish. Um, But the crux looks super tricky. Like, from my point of view, from the bottom, it looked really hard.
1: And none of you had ever climbed this route before, had you?
0: No, none of us climbed it. Um, And, um, yeah, you know, it kind of makes me think, obviously, maybe if uh, Graham had climbed for a bit longer, maybe there would have been bits, you know, I guess more placements as he went. But, look... He was pretty good with his placements and he, you know, wanted to keep himself safe. But he was pretty run out and he needed to put some gear in. So um, two cams into the side of the magic block. There's a gap there between the block and the wall. And um,
1: Why did he put two in? Was it because he thought he might fall?
0: Yeah, yeah. We thought it was definitely a possibility that he was going to fall. Um, and I reassured him. and I said, if you fall, I've got you on belay, you know. Um, cause I've caught many of his falls before and so he put two cams in there, pretty decent size. I just forgot the number, but the red and yellow, I believe. Yeah, he's placed these two in there, put them on a sling and clipped into them and I must admit as soon as he put those two in I had a real sigh of relief because he was quite run out and I was concerned that he would attempt the crux without any more gear which would have been dangerous in itself. Um, so, yeah, two cams in there and Graham's word were, you know, it's solid. It's sweet.
1: Where, where did he put the cams in the magic block? Was it in uh, the between,
0: between the... So, kind of the magic block comes out on an angle from the rock um, and some of it's, like, probably a um, five centimetre, three to five centimetre gap from the wall. Um, so, he put it between the main wall and the, and the magic block. Um, the two in there pretty solid and then um from there it was a decent traverse right to this little rooflet and then climbing the little overhanging rooflet um so yeah he started to reverse out it was looking pretty tricky and quite sport sporty yeah like uh yeah like overhunt sport climbing type thing i couldn't see many holds up there and so yeah, he was coming out over the, the little rooflet and, um, you know, I encouraged him to go for it. He was confident, keen as to go for it. I said, go for it, man, I've got you. Um, so he went for a bit of a, um, a reach and I think just slapped and missed and just came down for the fall. Um, as he came down for the fall, I braced myself to catch it like any other fall um, on an ATC as you do on trad climb. Um, and yeah so as he came down he took a decent fall just from where he was to then load up those two cams in the magic block once those two cams had taken his way they had busted out of the magic block both of them with quite an almighty explosion actually Um, there's a lot of force that goes into a human body falling and then the pressure of these cams coming out of the wall just busted out like a gunshot. Um, and then I just remember watching Graham fall, then it's like a sequence of thoughts, really. Um, and when you re- look back to it, obviously it all kind of comes back in slow motion. So a bit of a sequence of him falling. The cam's loading and for a split second thinking it's okay and then those cam's popping and thinking, okay, now there's going to be a really decent whip so I need to properly um, drop back and put all my weight into the system because the momentum of his fall is going to bring me quite a way towards the wall. So I was a fair way down the embankment. Um, So, yeah, I leaned right back or practically fell back to be able to uh, take the weight. But within another you know, half a second of the cams popping out, the whole magic block ended up dislodging from the wall. And the magic block, I don't know, if we think about it, I've looked back at a few photos and talked about it with people, but I would say it would be pretty close to a metre by a metre by a metre. Which, That's a big bit of rock. Yeah, it's a pretty huge rock. It's a big, solid, square bit of rock, not broken into bits. The whole block came out by itself, just standalone, big uh, block. And I think they are saying concrete, a metre by a metre by a metre is a, is a tonne. But, I don't know if this thing was a tonne, but it was a pretty solid piece of rock. It would it looked
1: like a tonne when it was coming it definitely down definitely
0: looked like a tonne. Um, so, I guess these... These next few moments are pretty hard to remember. I just have a few glimpses of what occurred. Um, uh, So I look up and see that now the rock is coming down um, pretty much directly to me um, and Graham is uh, falling. I'm still concerned about Graham because I haven't quite caught his fall yet um, and the rock's coming down. If you imagine... The rock and Graham are falling at the same time, but Graham's lower than the rock. Yeah, he's beating the rock to the ground. The rock is falling towards the ledge that Graham started the climb on. Um, and I'm a fair way back, so you know, not in a safe spot by any means. But if you think about it, if I was down the crag, it, down the embankment, the rock would probably shatter and roll down, and I might cock bits of rock Um, but the insane force of Graham's fall on me catching Um, I had both hands on the tail rope and just held on and really you know when someone falls what I think would have been probably an 18 metre fall uh, free fall the last I'd seen of him falling he was upside down Um, and then I felt the weight And that was probably three metres from the ground when I'd felt the weight. But when I'd felt the weight, I'd then been yanked by all of that pressure in towards that ledge. And so Graham has done a big pendulum swing and hit the wall upside down with the right-hand side of his body really hard. And then I think um, from when... I'd felt that weight and been pulled into the wall that lowered him to the ledge. Um, But pretty much um, the last thing that I do remember seeing was I was now at the ledge and the rock was directly above me. And um, yeah, I guess it's probably the first time in my life where I 100% had zero doubt that I'd be dead, really. Um, the last glimpse of the rock was only a couple, like probably two or three meters above my head and bearing straight down on me. And, um, I guess just what you learn through climbing over a long time is any rock fall, you just try sticking really tight to the rock. Um, so I just, um, closed my eyes and just tucked in really tight to the ledge. Now the ledge is not overhung at all. Ledge is just, Probably even slightly slab, um, you know, so I didn't think it would do any protection really. Um, so, yeah, I just tucked in tight and closed my eyes and honestly did not expect ever to open them. And I actually did have, I remember thinking in a slight thing, is please kill me if this is going to hit me, please kill me because I just had images of how mango, you know, how gruesome it could be if you did survive something like that where it actually struck you and it would just be so horrific, you know? I couldn't think of about it. So I was like, if this is going to happen, it's got to kill me. I don't want to know anything about God, about that, this. That is awful. <laughs> I can't imagine thinking that. I um, can't imagine and then obviously that. you just think, like, the loved ones or something and close your eyes. Um, and then just an almighty explosion. And I believe I kept my eyes closed. It was an almighty explosion like very loud rock shattering and going everywhere like a bomb like honestly like a bomb when this thing hit the ledge so i don't know i, I believe i was just in this tiny little sweet spot on this ledge where i tucked into the ledge the rocket exploded on top of the ledge and just because the rocket hit the ledge before me it must have just shattered into so many parts that by the time all the bits of rocket hit me they were broken into small parts. That's my theory on it. So when the rock exploded, it shattered into a million pieces and also broke away a fair bit of that ledge that I was tucked in away. And all of that rock sent me sliding down the embankment um, with all of the other rock and kind of, you know, just covered in rubble really. And obviously, Within a second, I was like, "Oh my god! Like, I'm alive!" Like, quick check, like, I can stand up. I'm, I'm alive. It's sweet. Not see through. Not and a ghost. then obviously, apart from just going, I'm alive. The next thought is, Graham. But I didn't really have too many concerns because obviously, when that boulder came down, I thought me and Graham were probably both gonna be dead or something. Um. and uh, I could just hear Graham the most gut-wrenching loud scream of my name
1: because he thought you died so
0: he thought I was dead 100% and there was also the people that were climbing the party that was climbing just down the, bro- down the wall had witnessed the whole thing and they were screaming a pretty insanely as well because it would have looked like a death you know um and graham was just i'll never get that sound out of my head of the way that graham was screaming my name because just complete fear that i was dead because he'd obviously had that moment oh shit i'm alive too and then just screaming my name and then i watched him and he was actually had pulled himself and graham was a broken man and he would pulled himself with one hand up on the rope to stand on one foot and he was just looking down, screaming my name. And then I saw that when I'd stood up and told him I was okay, I just watched him pretty much just collapse onto the, into a pile, into the corner of the chimney, uh, of the um, open book feature, on top of that ledge still.
1: I didn't know that. I didn't know that he had stood up to check that you were okay.
0: Yeah. He pulled himself up on the rope so he could see down the embankment and was just screaming. And as soon as he saw her, I was like, I could just see it in his face. He just dropped to the ground.
1: It's remarkable that he was capable of doing that, considering the extent of his injuries. Injuries,
0: yeah, exactly. And I guess he was running on adrenaline hard at that stage. We all were. I don't think my heart would ever pump that hard, ever. Um, Let's not forget about Doug. Doug was way away in the corner on the phone to his mum. And I remember when Graham fell and the camps pulled, I remember... Um, Doug just going, oh shit, gotta go, bang, off the phone to his mum and that's the last his mum would have heard from him for a fair few hours. Um, Doug, I don't know how this has happened, but in that explosion of the rock um, just splitting into a thousand parts, a big shard of rock that must have been quite flat and sharp had shot over to him and smacked him in the foot. Now we hadn't thought anything about it. Obviously, at this time, all of our focus is on grain I've got absolutely nothing wrong with that.
1: You had a tiny. I had a tiny cut.
0: scratch under my eye that was bleeding a little bit. Had a couple of grazes on my body, but just literal like little scratches. Like, yeah.
1: It is it's, it's just mind blowing how unscathed you were after yeah, that.
0: Freaky mind, but I don't actually. You can't really... I don't know how to explain it. We were d- touched
1: by an angel that Yeah, day. I don't know
0: <laughs> what's going on there. Um, but, uh, and even if you look at the ledge, um, you can actually see... When I went back there, it was quite emotional to have a look. And I tucked into where I had tucked in on the day. And either side of where my body was, the actual ledge had been broken away from the boulder... From the sure. block. Either side it had been broken... Like... You know, a, a good chunks of rock had been torn away from that ledge. This is pretty crazy, but Graham's on the ledge, laying down, um, and I still was like, "Oh, maybe Graham's fine. Like, maybe we just t- all totally got away with this." Um, and I said, "Graham, like, are you okay? How is it?" He said, "Call an ambulance," and I thought, "Okay, that it, this must be pretty serious because." First of all, Graham's a pretty tough dude, he's pretty strong-minded, and then also, when you're running on that much adrenaline, it's pretty easy to think everything's alright as well, but Graham was very clear that we needed to call an ambulance. Yeah. Yeah. I consider ourselves extremely lucky that we're at Frog, and at Frog you have good reception, and it's only about a 10-minute hike downhill to where we were. Um, so, Doug straight away got on the phone to the ambulance, and I was the closest to Graham, so I um, remember standing in the most awkward position. My calves, by the time the ambulance got there, were burning (laughs) um, on this ledge, and um, holding Graham's uh, forearm. And uh, Graham's forearm had a fair bit of blood coming out of it and a bit of bone. And um, we could tell that that was a compound fracture um, so we got the first aid kit out always have a first aid I think that's just something we learnt from being guides uh, so I always had the first aid and I just did what I could do and just bandaged it up to kind of bring it or keep it all together and then I just held tension on it but I do remember when I first put a bit of tension into Graham's arm I do remember it a squirty. <laughs> Oh, God. And feeling how loose the bones were in his forearm. Oh, God,
1: that's like a horror movie. Yeah.
0: It's funny, though, because I'm not good with that stuff, but I guess when you're in the moment, you don't. It's not even a second thought.
1: You do what you need to do.
0: So I sat there with Graham. I was looking into his eyes. He was obviously in hectic shock. um, His pupils were crazy. His eyes were big. um, But he was holding it together. He was definitely holding it together in a very impressive way. Um he was I then asked him where he saw. Um obviously the forearm was one. Um he also had this massive bulging lump like you've never seen, like someone had put a tennis ball in his leg. It was just
1: like his thigh. Yeah,
0: in his thigh it was just like a tennis ball of skin just coming up and I didn't know what that was. I had assumed maybe it could have been like some type of like maybe he'd broken his femur or something but it was big it looked painful um and the other thing that he was complaining about a lot which we ended up making a few jokes about while just to keep the mood a bit better while waiting for the hospital was he just kept mentioning how much his ass hurt um Asshole, in particular.
1: I remember that. God, <laughs> it's all coming yeah. back. Yeah, so we're
0: reporting this to the lady on the phone who um, was amazing. <laughs> Let's not forget how epic these call center people are for triple zero. You know, and Graham, sta- uh, Doug stayed on the phone to her the whole time, um, and she just, you know, stayed in contact and made sure everything was going good. Made sure we were m- asking the right questions, not giving him any water, which that was hard not to do, it was a hot sunny day and it was the afternoon, the sun was pretty bright and then um, yeah so Graham and I I pretty much just stood there while we waited for the ambulance to come, I was just holding Graham's arm and just if he was dozing away a little bit because he was in a lot of pain by that time especially once that adrenaline had and the shock had kind of worn off the pain was really starting to kick in Um, so he was just laying there but obviously between Graham and I and obviously Doug as well but um, between guys it's a pretty um, like it's a moment that you know you have with someone that's pretty unique you know you're holding each other together and to be honest we were all just amped that we were all alive because for a few seconds there all of us thought it was over for at least two of us so yeah we are just I was sitting there, and, and we had to wait probably 35 minutes for the ambulance, which is pretty damn good, I reckon. Um, and in that 35 minutes, there was actually... I would say there was actually probably some pretty beautiful times we had, actually. Um, we sat there, we made a couple of jokes between each other. We had a couple of laughs about what had happened and what's going to happen and that we're all alive. Graham was talking about his asshole a lot, so that was made for a bit of a, a bit of a laugh. Um, so yeah, um, and we- it
1: is. I mean, bizarrely, I can imagine that being kind of up high on this ledge and looking out for anyone that hasn't been to Frog. The whole crag kind of slopes upwards, so you're looking out at this beautiful it's vista such of... a
0: beautiful view anybody that's spent the Arvo at frog it's stunning Yeah,
1: that the rocks just... go that
0: amazing purpley orange from the sun setting and you've got amazing like Mount French National Park is beautiful if you're not a climber I think you could still hike down there and be very appreciative of just first of all the grandeur of the rocks you do not need to be a climber to look up at these big cracks and these Pillars and rock formations, and just be amazed at how they look. They're intimidating, and they stand over you, and they look like they've been there forever, and they look strong. And if you're a climber, and you know the history of, you know Rick White at Frog Buttress and the things that have gone down, it's like this. It's like an ancient battleground almost. It's like this powerful place, and um, it was beautiful. Such a lovely sunset, and there was birds chirping, and I remember telling Graham every time these birds were chirping, like, can you hear that? Did you hear that bird? Like, just keeping him too, and trying not to let him go asleep or anything like that. But, you know, obviously you could tell he was in a great deal of pain. And Graham, look, Graham, I don't know if I could have laid in the position that Graham was in, in the pain that he was in for so long and done it so well. It's yeah. a testament to
1: his yeah. willpower, that we taught his I don't will. know these
0: things until they happen, but I don't know. It was pretty impressive to me to see how strong he was just laying there it, as literally a broken man, and especially not knowing what the next six months was going to hold for Graham, which ended up being, I think, a real challenge for Graham, uh, you know, physically and mentally. Um, yeah.
1: It, there must have been something a little bit magical about having just survived this impossible yeah. situation and mm. staring out at this incredible view yeah and feeling really alive
0: very probably the most alive you live like yeah very alive i don't know if there's been moments where i've felt that alive really ever and you're just happy to be there no matter how broken Graham was just, they were happy that we're there and to be there together as well because we are very good friends and yeah it's just um, kind of a special moment and look yeah I guess when you think of it you're like, you create it as probably a milestone in your life any moments like that um, but yeah it was, ended up being a nice little <laughs> wait for the ambulance and then getting back to Doug um, oh, yeah. I guess Doug was quite distracted and we were all amped on adrenaline but I'd noticed there was a lot of blood coming out of Doug's shoe and his shoe was pretty much cut in half so you could just see socks so the top if you could imagine the top of the shoe above where your toes meet your foot was open and there's lots of blood So man you might want to check that out bro like take your shoe and have a look um Turns out he quite seriously um, cut his big toe and a couple of other toes from this rock that had come across and, like, pretty close to losing his big toe. Yeah. Um, I heard from the doctors that said he was very lucky to keep his big toe.
1: That's remarkable. So when the magic block shattered on the ledge, Mm. a piece of it went and landed on his
0: foot. On his foot. (laughs) it's amazing to think about and like I say to people Doug was in the spot where you would sit if you knew a rock was going to fall and explode you know kind of tucked away behind another rock on a ledge but it was just such an almighty explosion and it shattered into so many pieces that I can just picture and you know having a look at the pieces that it did break into they were very disc kind of shaped flat and sharp and I must have had some almighty force and direction to have hit his toes so much. But yeah, he hadn't felt it until a lot later on where obviously the pain started to kick in. That's awful. So, so, yeah.
1: so what happened uh, when the ambos arrived?
0: So Graham's on the ledge. Pretty awkward spot. I was in my head going through how we were going to get him down from there. Um, luckily, this other uh, climbing party that was down that had witnessed it came straight over obviously um, and offered their assistance and we said look we've got things under control here but could you wait for the ambulance up the top for us and direct them down to us and give them a hand so they did so and after about 35 minutes um, comes this <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny actually there's this um, older uh, uh, medic Paramedic that was, you know, slightly overweight. Um, obviously, been, looked like she'd been in the game for a while, and she kind of comes. She's the first one to kind of come hobbling down the track, and uh, you know, you're like, oh, the first medic. He says, like, oh, yes, a saviour. And she looks up at us and sees this big tricky scramble to get to where we go. And She goes, oh, I'm not getting. I'm not going up there. First thing, first thing she said. You're on your own, bring him down, Oh, there's no way I'm getting up there. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you're joking, this is awesome. Luckily, you know, within a minute, there was several other ambulances. So we had some medics rock up, we had some SES, um, and fire brigade as well come to our rescue. A lot of people, I guess because it was then now quite a challenge to get Graham off this ledge... And because there was a lot of unknowns when it came to his injuries, um, everything had to be treated, you know, like uh, spinal and things like that because there was a lot of unknowns and he just had a pretty major fall. Um, So, yeah, the ambulance had come over and we'd all got up there and tried to... Obviously, the first thing they did was give Graham the old green whistle, um, which was pretty entertaining to see him hit it was uh graham was pretty well known for being a pretty straighty 180 and he'd never tried any uh form of (laughs) i guess uh drug or or not even alcohol i believe at the time and um watching him hit the green whistle and his first reaction was just like seeing stars he was like oh whoa and he just eyes just went really big and he looked up at the sky and he was just on that green whistle the whole time and making little jokes, and that definitely boosted his morale. Um, And then, yeah, I just tried to, you know, Doug and I just tried to help the ambulance as much as possible and the SES and the fibre grade to get him out of where he was. Um, Doug, I believe, was told not to do much. They saw his toe and said, you know, they tended to him and said, you can't be doing anything. Um,
1: So how did you end up getting him down from that? Yeah,
0: so... Uh, what we ended up doing, because he was still in his harness, um, we decided to keep him in his harness for the time being, he was, stayed, he was still tied in, so we kept that there, and the nut that had caught him was obviously a pretty solid nut, you know, it was set in there pretty strong.
1: We didn't talk about what actually caught him, did yeah, we? Yeah, so he his caught lucky caught by,
0: by a nut. Um, do you remember what size it was? It was pretty yeah, small. It was, yeah, it was a pretty small nut, It's pretty amazing. Um, I don't remember what size it was. Um
1: I remember he wore it around his neck.
0: Yeah. Afterwards. I believe it was one of my nuts, but Dan will probably <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean you wouldn't want it
1: that nut, back sure. anyway. So. No, I don't want that one. You can <laughs> keep
0: it. Um so yeah, that was in pretty solid. So, um what we ended up doing was with the SES and the fire brigade and the ambulance we ended up Trying to keep Graham in the same position that he was, and then we got someone on belay from that nut, and we actually lowered him off that nut. So we took real tight to kind of bring him up into the air a little bit. We kept his body in the same position, and then we just lowered him down off the ledge. So one of the guys in the other party helped us out, and he belayed him down off the ledge, and then um, onto a stretcher now their only way to get him out of where he was was by a, a, a helicopter um winching him out so because
1: like, at frog i mean from where you were you, you said it was kind of an uphill scramble obviously to the climb yeah. but then it's essentially another uphill hike yeah to because get it's a, to a downhill
0: hike to get to where we were yeah. so to get to the car park it's if anybody's been a frog you know like at the end of the day, when you're wrecked, you got heavy packs. It can actually be pretty strenuous, although it's short. Um, so, yeah, they weren't going to be taking him out of there on a stretcher. So we had the helicopter. Once we'd ended up getting him into the stretcher and they were able to have a look at a few things, cut the harness off, do all of that, um, I think at the time they were treating that big bulge in his leg like it was a broken femur, but they were still unsure. Um... And then they were still unsure about a lot of things so they got him all set up in the stretcher um, and then carried him down to a flat spot on the track where the winch could come down Um, and yeah that was actually quite cool to see the guy that came down on the winch just looked like an ultimate badass you know you know like a superhero almost he's got a cool get up he's got a cool helmet a sick mask (laughs) and he's coming he's being winched out of a helicopter to someone's rescue he's so I save like you, yeah. you are the man <laughs> anyway he um picked up Graham um and got him into the stretcher and then got him connected to the stretcher and the rope with the cable and then what they had to do which I didn't know was a common thing was they had to connect a line from the bottom of the stretcher to the ground they had to anchor it to the ground so that apparently it's provides a bit more control over the movement of the stretcher and stops it from uncontrollably just swinging and spinning around once they got Graham in the stretcher and hooked up to the the helicopter I pretty much walked away back to where we were because I knew we still had lots to do, it had been like two hours to get Graham down into this stretcher to a spot where he could be moved, it took ages um, so I'd walked off, but then I thought we'd heard it take off, and then shortly after it had come back down and then taken I'd heard it take off again, and we'd found out off Graham that um on the way up something had happened to that bottom line, and it had either detached or something, but apparently Graham and the the rescuer were uncontrollably like spiraling. Oh my God in the air, like spinning around in this stretcher in the air, and they had to bring them back down and reconnect and then go again. That must
1: have been wild for Graham on the green whistle. Right? Yeah, like he he said it
0: was pretty hectic, he was looking at this guy that was right next to him getting spun around, and he said, "I'm look, I'm hoping that wasn't all in Graham's head because of the green whistle, but I'll take his word for it, I'll take his word for it, so... Yeah, and then we got up to um, back up there, and then we thought like, oh, we'll just get the gear back that we can get, but not off the wall. I didn't want to see the wall. I didn't want to touch the wall. Um, so we got it all down, and though that party had packed up their gear because they had to bail on their climb, so they got all their gear, and and then um, I loaded up Doug. So all the medics and stuff helped uh, Doug. Doug's a big lad. Um, he was quite a unit at the time, so um, the medics all helped uh, Doug get out of there, that kind of limping hard. on one foot, and they were assisting him. Doug's a pretty tough old, not old, but he's an old soul, but tough guy, you know. Um, so I think he wanted to try to do it himself, but they wouldn't let him, so they had to help him up out of there. But now I had to carry um, everybody's gear back. <laughs> <laughs> so, within minutes from when Graham had taken off, things were packed up and then I was pretty much alone there packing the three bags up.
1: This is the part that has stayed with me almost more than anything else, is thinking about the para- Graham going off in the chopper, yeah. Doug going off in the ambulance, yeah. and then you suddenly... Being alone.
0: Yeah, so. All of
1: this stuff that's just. Happening. Yeah,
0: so I packed the bags and they were kind of hobbling Doug off. I'd packed them up, loaded them up on my back and started walking out. And I'd caught up to Doug and some of the medics and everyone was had their hands full, you know? Like, medics were helping Doug, the other medics were carrying all the bags and things like that. So everyone had gear. So they were all hiking out and they're doing their. They're just working. So I just needed to get back to their chucks and get home um, so yeah we hiked out and I remember getting to the top of the car park and seeing that many vehicles and it dawned on me how seriously this event was taken like there was a couple of ambulance a couple of SES cars and a couple of uh, uh, fire trucks I mean all their lights were going and it was, just looked like crazy. And then um, very quickly, once they loaded Doug, said bye to Doug, he went into the ambulance. um, And then very quickly, as soon as I saw them, they were all gone. And then I had got Graham's keys out of his backpack um, and went to, I had to drive Graham's car home with all the gear. And then I remember going and just sitting in the car. And it was the first time there was no one else around and it was just silence. It was in the car park at the top of the road. I was by myself. with was silence. And I'm pretty sure I just cried a bit. <laughs> I just kind of just broke down a little bit It all. Just got to, yeah. Because there's no time to do anything but think about what's happening at the time. And yeah, just kind of broke down a little bit. Um, in the car, called my partner straight away. Um, called my dad and not my mum first because dad's level-headed when it comes to that God stuff too. I know my mom would have just freaked um so they were pretty frantic my partner was obviously pretty upset um she wasn't one thing that did suck about it all was my partner was away at the time and she wasn't gonna be home for a while um so I'd uh it's an hour and a half drive home and that I, would have
1: been so hard
0: yeah so I just drove home and it was yeah pretty sure i just had the music going and was just driving just thinking about like a lot of things i guess i guess one of the big things is like obviously being the belayer you put a lot of thought into what you could have done better or how could i've handled it so that things didn't work out the same or that's the main thought second thought was i had to call Actually, the first person I did call was actually Graham's, um, Graham's uh, uncle, who was my boss. All of our bosses at the gym, and I said, "Look, you're going to have to cancel all our shifts for tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> we've had a climbing accident." Briefly explained what had happened, said where the hospital Graham was going, and to pass on the info, um, and that Doug's gone to another hospital and uh, I'm going to drive Graham's car home so um, yeah so yeah got in the car um, and just drove to mum and dad's place stayed at mum and dad's place but yeah obviously a lot of thoughts going on in the car on the way back I was concerned about my climbing career like whether I wanted to keep climbing at all anymore I was kind of like oh is that it I don't after that I I don't know if I'll come back to climbing after that like that's you know but also I was like why wouldn't you gotta get back on the wall like it's a it's a funny thing and then um, but I guess one of the big things as well was probably you know what the climbing community can be like it can be very opinionated and um, I guess something that stands out to me a lot like any sport like climbing is no different but like any sport there's a crew of people that get pretty hung up on the ego side of it and um, I was slightly concerned that I was ready to cop a lot of criticism for sure because you know what the climbing community is like, everybody's got an opinion everybody could have done something better everybody, I would have done this or I would have done that And who puts a cam in the magic block and look it was a mistake obviously (laughs) put cams in the magic block but when you run out you're about to hit a a crux you're going to put some protection somewhere and it was right there and it looked solid and and look in a way I guess in hindsight maybe maybe you were weren't experienced enough to do I would say probably no going wasn't experienced enough to do a climb of of that difficulty but he probably I'd say probably thinks the same um I don't think there'd be really regrets there though like you know, some of us in climbing um, get little smacks on the wrist, smacks on the bum to say, hey, be careful, watch yourself, and don't play up in the future. And you can either continue climbing with a new mindset and be really cautious and smart about your climbing, be as and think, okay, we need to do everything in our that's possible to make this not ever happen again. And then there's also. or you just don't climb anymore I don't like the second one you know you always want to be that person that gets back on the horse um but yeah and then the following weeks were very interesting process I didn't really get as much criticism as I expected everyone was very supportive we were pretty lucky we had you guys the whole crew around us like the support was insane like the whole climbing community just reached out like was really good, it was quite impressive. Like it just, it brought a few people together. It brought us closer and it, um, yeah, it was really, it was interesting to see what the next, you know, couple of months had in store actually. Graham was in hospital for a long time. We were in there visiting him a lot and then he was in a wheelchair for a long time. Was it seven or eight weeks?
1: What did he end up, um having yeah so
0: um compound fracture in the arm obviously he had broken his pelvis which was probably the most significant part because apparently it took a long time to heal
1: that's what landed him in the wheelchair that's that's what landed
0: him in the wheelchair and then another really significant one was the acl and the lcl or something like on the other side of the knee he snapped both of those they were no longer there um And that was the longest healing process, I think, for him. Um, So he was in a wheelchair for like seven weeks and it was pretty amazing. The crew got together and pretty much did everything for him. Do you remember? People doing shifts, helping Graham out, like everything. I remember wheeling him around, doing wheelies, pushing him around. I remember just pushing him up facing the wall, right up (laughs) next to a wall, facing the wall, and I'd just leave him there (laughs) as a joke.
1: Do you him doing <laughs> one-armed pull-ups in, yeah, his, in his, in his, his house? Yeah yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, so. And, and our, was our, was our friend driven.
1: Holly, who is an occupational therapist, yeah. took all this stuff from work and set yeah. his group up for him. and so set it so up, it was amazing, <laughs> yeah. like,
0: the crew really helped out, I think that was probably the most beautiful part of the whole thing, was just, like, see how everyone came together, and then, um yeah it was interesting like and then I remember Graham's father come up and I got to meet his family and his father and they were all just super appreciative um and Graham was extremely I remember the first time I went to see Graham in hospital afterwards because like we were there with a group big group of people but Graham said look can you guys just go away for a second and um yeah we had a good little moment there for a bit it was pretty nice um and yeah, he was very appreciative that I was on belay, and I was just appreciative that we were both alive, really. And well, that's yeah. one
1: thing I want to note about you being on belay, too. I mean, I guess there's no way of knowing how different people would react in that, that mm. situation, but I mean, I suppose it's possible that a different type of belayer might have just let go of the rope. And oh, most broke definitely the cover.
0: possible. Most definitely possible. Um, and you didn't do that. No, but I think also, I just, I don't think there was any thought behind it. I think it was just a, like an impulse type thing. You just clench, like you just rip tight and clench. I do remember when I did drop the rope was after Graham had got caught the fall and then I'd been pulled up and then he'd come to the ground from that momentum of the me being forced to the wall. And then when that rock exploded and I that's when I'd let go and started rolling down the hill. Um, so yeah, apparently most of his damage was from that big pendulum, the way that he hit the wall. He was upside down and he hit the wall very, very hard, like 18 meter pendulum fall, slamming straight into a wall sideways. It's kind of like his back elbow, but is what hit the wall so hard. Um, yeah, but you're obviously always, as a ballet you're going to always be thinking, is there little things that I could have done better, that might, not have, that might have made it better, you know? But there was a few things to think about at the time.
1: Looking back on it, I mean, it's impossible ever to predict how mm. things might have turned out if you changed this yeah. or that. But is there anything that really stands out to you that might have changed the outcome?
0: apart from putting two cams in the magic block.
1: um, I'm curious about that. Do you think a different type of gear in that spot would have yielded the same outcome? Or was it impossible to put anything else there?
0: You could only put cams with the shape of the the rock. um, And I don't think it would have mattered what size cam or anything. To get the right size, it's just that... Any cam was going to put that pressure into it and just fracture it off the wall. Um, but like I said again, like, I couldn't see anywhere else he could have put any protection and he was running out. So, like, I actually always wanted to know what people do when they do climb. Gods of Navarone, where they do put their protection before they go through the crux if they don't put it in the magic block. Um, yeah.
1: Any, anyone who's climbed it, um, send us a comment on yeah, social really media interesting at the Yeah, it to list. see
0: where they, where they put it. Um, or if people have, Cam the Magic Block. If they haven't, that's going to be really interesting to know. <laughs> but anyway, so that was, yeah, that was a pretty interesting experience that I actually, you know, in hindsight these days, I feel very grateful that I've had that experience of climbing. There's times where I hate the fact that I've had it because I just don't have the same relationship with climbing anymore. But I do have a relationship with climbing. It's a very... It's a turbulent relationship. <laughs> we go back and forth with each other. There's times where I hate it. There's times where I love it. There's times where I'm scared out of my pants. And there's times where I feel brave and strong. It's like, but I think that's why there's time, like every climber has to have those wake-up call moments. Every climber does, and you've just got to, first of all, be grateful that you can live to keep going and climbing. And, uh, yeah, second of all, just be smart enough to make different decisions and be really cautious. For instance, wearing a helmet all the time now. I never used to wear a helmet climbing. only trad climbing, and I'm so glad because I had some mad scratches and gouges out of my helmet.
1: You were wearing a helmet that day, weren't you? You all, all three of you. Yeah, if I didn't
0: have a helmet, I don't know if the outcome would have been the same, really. Because there's still a lot of rock that came down.
1: What was the mental recovery like for you?
0: Well, yeah, it was a pretty weird process. Like I said, it was. um, I think I recovered pretty quick. I don't think it was that bad, to be honest. (laughs) The more I think about it, like. It was interesting. I was more kind of involved in Graham's process and Doug's process. So they both had some, like, I guess, interesting, like, it affected their lives in many ways, I think.
1: Well, Doug effectively stopped climbing after that, didn't he? Yeah,
0: I believe so. Yeah. And, um, and, and after that too, over time, everybody kind of went their separate ways which is really interesting as well. Everybody's lives changed a lot after that. There were a lot of things that happened and, and I guess mindset changes in life. I guess that must happen to people that have near-death experiences and or witness it or have traumatic events and things changed a lot. But I feel like for me, not much did because you know, two days later, I was back in the gym that we all worked at, working and telling everybody the story. You know? And, you you know, I've told the story hundreds of times, obviously. And, um, yeah, it was just, uh, it was interesting. Like, there was the support there if I needed it, which was great. My parents, my partner was away, unfortunately. But when she was back, I had her. I had all of you guys. I had my, my workplace was really good in letting me know that, look, in events like this, you might feel good now. And a couple months down the line, it might all come down on you like a ton of bricks um but apart from the initial couple of days it it was more just being part of Graham's and Doug's process and and everything like that but honestly but in terms of climbing mindset changed like heavily heavily like I was always a pretty cautious climber but uh after that like whole new level, it really did take a while I don't think I climbed after that for at least, outdoors at least six months, minimum six months could be way more and then I think it was like a year and a bit before I even went back to Frog
1: That's what I wanted to ask you about what was that like going back to Frog for the first time
0: It was pretty cool actually, I, and it was actually it was pretty special because I went with my very best mate um, Peter Deegan, who taught me how to climb back in the day. Um, if you've been in the climbing community for a while, you, you probably know Peter Deegan. Um, he's the man. He took me under his wing when I was like 16. He was a lot older than me. He loved me saying that. A lot older than me. And, uh... <laughs> so
1: old. But <so laughs> not that old, sorry. <laughs> a really <laughs> old,
0: wise person, you know? He <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> took me under his wing and taught me how to climb and, like, and then my partner as well came with me and we had a really awesome morning climbing some really fun little like 14s and just getting back to basics putting gear in rocks and just trad climbing again just for this just for the enjoyment of it um and then we went back to go I wanted to go visit where it all happened and that was really interesting obviously a bit emotional it was interesting to see like I was saying like where I was in the where graham fell where we all were trying to think of where, how things happen slow-mo in your head and how but um again didn't affect me as much as i thought it would um i don't know if maybe down the line i'll work out that it's actually affected me more than i thought but in high, like all over apart from my climbing I can't see how it really... It didn't really affect my life that much, to be honest. But in climbing, definitely. Like, I didn't climb for a long time. And my first climb after it was pretty epic. Like, it was pretty scary. It was a big climb, and it was, it was really scary. What was,
1: what was your first climb back? I
0: was... First climb outdoors again after that, I was in France on a trip with my partner.
1: Was that your first time mm, climbing
0: again? Yeah, and I did this. Um, I got this really awesome local guide uh, because I didn't have any climbing buddies. But I bought my harness, shoes, chalk bag, um, and he was really casual as they kind of are in Europe when it comes to climbing. Really chill guy. Do this climb every day with his eyes closed. You know, I think it was a. It was a. We got up to a grade 19, and it was um, six or seven pitches. 180 meters or something, and um, amazing rock in a place called Ansi, right over the lake, and just stunning rock like um, limestone, just grippy, solid, amazing rock, pockets, and grippy. But it was one of those multi pitches that, as the pitches go, they get harder and harder and harder, and the exposure was just insane I started off feeling alright and in that last three pitches to be completely honest with you I wanted it to be over the amount of anxiety and stress that I was feeling and the over gripping and just like thinking of every single possible thing that could go wrong unrealistic things like rope snapping when does rope snap? you know like that's the last thing you gotta think of when it comes to a nice new rope you know, like, just falling and hanging in midair was scary because of that exposure. And the last pitch was in grade 19 and overhung like crazy. Like, and you're looking down beneath your toes and it's just straight to the ground. Like, and it, it was, I had to, like, battle demons that I don't think I'd ever had come up before, ever. You know that time where it's like uh, the only way is up? You're not going like from here. We're not going anywhere but down, anywhere but up. There's like no option. So it's like I'm feeling horrible right now. I'm feeling scared like crazy. I'm sweating. I'm over-gripping. I'm pumping out. I'm breathing terribly, you know, just like real frantic breathing. And then get to the top, relax a bit, and then really scary upside down. Like just under a roof and then you're just dangling in midair, and you get to the ground and obviously after I'd finished it it was just like the most overwhelming feeling of uh, success and um, but that was a real eye opener
1: that's a huge objective for your first climb back yeah. after an accident like that I didn't realise that yeah. something that big it was super
0: scary but probably one of the most memorable climbs of my life like epic climb but um yeah
1: And did that reaffirm your decision? You know, you said you sort of were weighing up, not climbing anymore. Mm. Did that reaffirm your decision to get back on the horse?
0: It settled my decision into the fact that um, I climb for the enjoyment of climbing now. Um, I love going out with people that I like. I love going out with good friends, having a fun day out doing some awesome climbs whether it's a 14 or whether it's a 21 22 23 and you take a few falls or whatever i go climbing because i love the enjoyment of climbing the pure essence of climbing and why we do it and i think it's a good thing too because i've also seen people that strive so hard to push through grades like i was doing when i was a bit younger you know you go through that and and you're just training and striving and striving and get this real mental just you've seen it at Pepe. you know the people i'm talking about some people just get this insane drive like where they're just every weekend and it's awesome and that's how you get really good at climbing it's the only way any climber out there knows that climbing like above a lot of sports takes so much time and dedication if you want to get to a high level even a medium level in the scheme of things it takes a lot of time and effort, but I've seen people wear themselves out to get that real mongrel attitude towards the wall to the point where the wall defeats them and they end up getting defeated themselves. So it's kind of nice also to be in that headspace. I don't really put any pressure on myself. If someone invites me on a climbing trip and we're going to go with some kids and climb the 14th, sweet, I'm going to have a fun trip. If someone that's a bit better invites me out to do, you know, to go climb some sport that's a bit harder, It'll be fun, but I've got no expectations on myself these days, like train twice a week, bouldering in the gym and get out every so often. But, um, I think climbing is something, I think I'll always be a climber. Climbing always been in my life, well, it's been in my life for a long time and it ebbs and flows, it comes in and it comes out because I've got other hobbies and other commitments and, you know, you're trying to also do well at life in general, um and uh yeah i just think it's something that i'll always do you know i'll take my kids climbing i'll probably take my grandkids climbing and stuff but i'll probably won't ever push grades again i don't think i think i'll just enjoy climbing for what it is it's an adventure day out and i think i like more like multi-pitch adventurous climbs now where it's a day out you know it's like more of an adventure so yeah i love it and teaching people how to climb
1: you're an amazing teacher.
0: I think that's the best part now. I think I probably enjoy coaching more than climbing itself. Really, like it's to watch, especially the kids and stuff. To watch kids out climbing up <laughs> from when they started. You know, it's like far out, and there's some good climbing kids out there. And we live in this new era of climbing in Australia. It's just the last couple of years has just is amazing. Like, I started when I was 16, and there was one gym within, apart from going to Brisbane, one gym and a couple, like, there was a few people that climbed, and you knew pretty much all the people that climbed, you know? And then over time, I think it's probably the combination of Ninja Warrior and also amazing climbing films that have been coming out on mainstream networks like Netflix, that are also targeted not just to climbers like these new climbing films are targeted to anyone that has anyone literally anyone can watch that film and be absolutely inspired shocked sweating nervous they can think the person's crazy for what they're doing but people relate to it and it's i think it's got a lot of people into climbing
1: i don't have to tell people what a pitch is anymore
0: No. That's the when when the dawn
1: wall came out and I would tell people I did a multi pitch of pitches and they'd be like, "Uh, You don't I I know what a pitch
0: is. (laughs) Yeah That's so true. Beforehand you have to explain a pitch, lead climbing, how that works. What do the gear look like? How much rope do you need? How many people do you Yeah, that's so true. It's grown so much and now we've got all these epic gyms opening up and so many people climbing which is as we discussed earlier it's a really great thing like it's great to see so many people climbing but we have to we're in that stage right now of making sure that everybody first of all most importantly stays safe Um, making sure that because you're always going to get cowboys you're always going to get the people that watch a couple of YouTube videos buy the gear head out and charge and you're always going to get people that you know. I used to get the question all the time working in outdoor stores or working at the climbing gym, hey I don't want to get into climbing what gear do I need first of all you need to get a pair of climbing shoes, chalk bag and harness and train in here for a little while get to know people, get to meet people make sure that they're people that know what they're doing and you trust their opinion in climbing and then slowly learn or do courses, they're a great way obviously because then you know you're getting things by the book um and not picking up other people's bad habits um but look there's a lot to learn about climbing it is not a sport you can just jump into you can in the gym and that's where you start that's where you socialize that's where you meet people so you get into the community start doing a few outdoor days and you start learning how it all works you do a couple of courses and things like that but it's not something that you can look at like just jumping straight into especially the outdoor stuff especially if you want to be more independent in climbing it's a it's dangerous you're doing things at height and in the environment and like i said it's pretty unforgiving and then the other thing that uh we need to also really be cautious about with this growing climbing community is making sure that climbing etiquette is well known and i'm probably more concerned about um keeping crags clean and that's a really big part of it you know like um, we have to be respectful of we're lucky first of all that someone has bolted the crags we go to if it's a bolted place um, you know these people don't generally get paid to do any of this stuff a lot of it comes out of their own pocket and they're providing climbs for a whole community off their own back just from pure will
1: And often then going back and maintaining them over the years. And maintaining it
0: and the tracks, right? So people put in a lot of effort to establish a crag. But a crag, as we've noticed in the last couple of years as well, when you look to the grampians and things like that, is a crag can be shut just as soon as it's been opened. So we have to be really cautious that, you know, first of all, leave no trace. In fact, take more out with you than you brought in. Um, Second of all, you know, don't be scratching into trees. Don't be scratching arrows. Use rocks and cans. Um, It's as simple as trying to leave the place. You know, we've already put bolts in the wall. We've already made a track. Apart from that, let's leave a place exactly how it was when we leave. You know, exactly how it was. That's the whole aim. And if it stays like that, I believe that most national parks... Um, and the councils and, you know, the government will be pretty accepting of climbing and, and they have been over the years but, you know, there's it's almost like uh, if you're a climber it's also your responsibility you can't just like, when we go into a climbing gym we pay a fee to use that gym, yeah when we go outdoors we need to, you know we also, we've got something to uphold we have to pay in some way whether that's picking up rubbish or just going through the effort to make sure that we leave the place as, we, as it was when we came, that's a very small price to pay to be able to appreciate crags for a lifetime, you know, because there's lots of crags popping up at the moment. It's awesome. There's also a lot of crags being shut at the moment. So it's, that's an important thing. That, But I think as the community grows, hopefully the awareness grows with it things like this podcast and um, I guess uh, events that are coming up and uh, things like that just to create awareness around around this so that people are kind of most people are on the same page and they have the same idea if they want to keep climbing for the rest of their lives they're going to have to take part in it, you can't just go to the crag enjoy it and leave and not do anything else mm. How old are you? <laughs> 24 years old.
1: I just want to make you know that because you're so wise. You're always something. I met you when you were 20 years old and even yeah, then Yeah. Oh my
0: god, really? You, I was 20.
1: Yeah. Jeez. Even then you were always teaching me stuff, always inspiring me, and I think you always will be for, for the rest of our lives because I hope so. I'm going to be a climber forever
0: too yeah most definitely you are you got the bug it's too late <laughs> you're infected it's <laughs> one of those infections you're never <laughs> never going to heal it there's no cure yeah, yeah. I'm okay with it <laughs> yeah it's a good one to have I reckon if you're going to get bit get by any bug just think about the people that you meet through climbing the places that you go Like that's where the beauty of climbing is pushing through grades and getting good at climbing is also really amazing and I appreciate massively the amount of hard work and effort that goes into that but sometimes there's times where you've got to think of why you started climbing and that's where that's where it lies really where like I did climbing because I like the feeling of being exposed in open air going to wild places in nature and hanging out with the people you choose to hang out with that are all pretty much like minded
1: Fabio, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to The Bail List. Make sure you go find us on social media, at The Bail List on Facebook and Instagram. And while you're there, don't forget to enter into our prize draw. Thanks to the good folks at Awesome Woodies. We are giving away this month one Cliffboard Micro. All you've got to do to enter the prize draw is tag a mate that you think would be into this podcast. Thanks as always to Wild Earth who continue to support this podcast without them. We would not be able to bring this to you every month, so really, really appreciate their support. I would also like to pay respect to the Ugarapal people, the traditional custodians of the area where this story took place. The Ugarapal are the original storytellers of this land. Now, a snippet from next month's episode. What is it like in the um, control room when, you know, you know that you've saved someone? Is it like in the movies where everyone gets up and is like, whoa, or is everyone just like another day at the office?
0: Uh, It's probably not like uh, Houston where the Rockets are successful and they're all giving each other high fives, so (laughs) not not quite that, but um, uh, there, there is a, the people here come to work to save people. All right, so that's that's their mission each and every day. That's they work. That's why they work for AMSA. They want to contribute to the saving of lives uh, and get people safely back to their families.